0: Visit myflexlearning.com backslash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash B-E. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders Feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hi there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to 125 of the De facto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network. Today, I'm going to talk about time perception, so both time blindness, time obsession, some of my clinical experience. I may pull in some research that I've done in the past, but primarily in this episode, I'm going to share my lived experience. So, so when I choose to share my own experiences, I do it in a way that gives additional context to help you apply evidence-based practices. So I'm thinking of it within that lens because I think that it can be really helpful when you're thinking about technical terms, when you're thinking about science and how to apply it to the real world. If you have someone's experience and you can see tangible examples of how it might play out, how it might present, and how you can use it to help yourself or help the people you're serving, I think that that is, it's very helpful in the application piece. The concept of time perception within the broad umbrella of executive functioning hits close to home for me because I have always been very focused on the passage of time, I would say I'm obsessed with time. And a lot of people who experience executive dysfunction find it difficult to sense the passage of time, which is why it's difficult for them to plan ahead, prepare, understand how long something will take. It's also why they might look at a task and either inflate how long it's going to take or underestimate how long it's going to take. And many of the devices and tools that people use to help kids or help themselves stay on track don't adequately teach this concept of time perception partially because they're not visual enough. So I am going to get into some specifics on that as I share my own experiences and how I was able to make those connections. I will share how language, visual information, as well as temporal information all tie together. Really, it's very challenging to isolate those things. So with language... It's only meaningful if you can tie in those visual and temporal elements, especially when you're using visual and temporal terms. So if the words and the acoustic things that you hear are not meaningful to you and you can't immediately make that association, then any words on a checklist or a device or any numbers that you might see on a digital clock are not going to be meaningful to you. All of those things have to give you an association and immediately help you to create a picture in your mind when you see those symbols in order for some of these strategies to work. So that's why working on language can be so powerful. It's certainly not the only thing that you need to work on. There are times when you're planning and executing a task and you might rely more on visual information or other sensory information, but Adding the element of language is going to be a really powerful tool that's going to enhance the other skills and the other senses that you're using. It's also a powerful tool for communication, obviously. I will share a little bit about how my sense of time perception and my fixation on time has been paired with my internal monologue, my internal dialogue, and how I talk to myself. I have gotten some negative comments when I talk about language because some people make the claim that you know, some people don't have an inner voice or it's ableist and not neurodiversity affirming to teach someone to have an inner voice. We can't definitively say that a certain percentage of the population does or doesn't engage in internal dialogue. And I share a little bit more about that in episode 121 so I would encourage you if you want to learn more about self-talk to listen to that episode because I do break down some of the research now is it true that some people don't engage in an internal monologue dialogue some kind of inner voice inner speech private speech yes we do have evidence that that is the case the question becomes Can they learn to have one? And should they learn to have one? So I encourage you to check out episode 121 for more information on that. And so when I teach any strategy, whether it's to a kid, to an adult, what I'm doing is I'm giving options. I'm not telling someone that they have to do something. So what I'm doing, I'm giving tools. People can obviously choose whether or not they want to use strategies or tools but there are many situations and there is a lot of evidence that supports that having that self-directed talk is going to be a powerful tool that can enhance your other skills. And there is evidence that if you don't have an internal dialogue or monologue or that you don't use self-talk, that you can learn to do it. So with that in mind, I wanted to share how I have experienced that when it comes to time perception. I wanted to mention that I do have a strategy and a tool for modeling this internal self-talk and teaching the skills of time perception as it applies to planning day-to-day tasks, whether it be homework, whether it be getting ready for school in the morning. Many times when people are not responding to checklists that list out the steps in a task or they're not using those strategies independently, it's partially because they are not able to engage in that internal self-talk and that internal planning required to actually use those strategies. So when we use checklists, and when we are thinking about the steps in a task, there are multiple skills that we're using there. We're thinking about the steps that we need to take, we're thinking about the language that goes along with those steps as we're talking ourselves through it, we are adjusting on the spot, and then we're also paying attention to how long it's going to take. And if we're not able to do that, then it's very difficult to initiate, persist, and get a task done on time. Again, whether that's a writing assignment, whether that is getting dressed in the morning, whether it's understanding how to go to your locker, pack up your books, and get to your next class. So this can be applied to many different things. And if kids are avoiding tasks, not getting things done, not staying on task, or if you're noticing that they're getting distracted, then it's likely that it is tied to executive functioning and their ability to sense the passage of time, as well as plan and execute. So the question becomes, how do you actually address this? Well, you need to help kids to engage in that internal planning, as well as to shift and adjust and self-evaluate so i walk through a strategy for doing that in my time tracking journal so the time tracking journal is a part of the school of clinical leadership which is my program for related service providers who want to put executive functioning support in place for their caseloads and it's primarily focused on the school setting so if you want to learn more about how to support kids through this process, you have two options. You can either check out the Time Journal as a standalone product, or you can get the complete system in the School of Clinical Leadership. So to learn more about the Time Journal, you're going to want to go to DrKarenDudekBrandon.com backslash Time Journal. And to learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, which is the complete system that includes the Time Journal, as well as all of the strategies that you need in order to put this support in place across the day, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. So now let's move on to the discussion of time perception. If you have the ability to sense time, you have this picture in your mind, and I would say it's multi-sensory. So you can think about a length of time And you really have this vivid perception of what that means. So for example, if I said five minutes, you might have a picture in your mind of multiple things. So you might think of the number five and how it looks in print. You might think of a clock and think of what five minutes looks like on an analog clock. You also might think of something that takes five minutes, and you might use that as context for understanding what five minutes means. So for example, I might think about getting ready in the morning, maybe that takes me five minutes. So I can think about that and use that to make meaning from those words that I just said. So this is true when it comes to numbers and temporal terms. It's also true when it comes to letters. So for example, when I see a word on the page, I'm thinking about those print symbols. I am making meaning of what all those print symbols mean together. I'm thinking about acoustically how I might say that word. And then I'm pairing that with visual information. And again, depending on what the word means, I might pair it with other information. Is it a temporal term that means something? So for example, if I say the word before, I understand what that means sequentially. If I say a word that communicates visual information, then I might think of something that goes along with whatever I'm saying. So for example, words that express quantity, words that express size. So all of these are tying visual, temporal, language, all of those things together. So this is why language is important when we're thinking about time perception, but we have to really pair it with those tangible experiences while we are using those visual devices, those visual symbols in order for it to mean something to us. Now I wanted to share a little bit about my experience growing up and just how I was able to make some of these connections. So I will share that I'm not neurotypical. Me saying that I'm neurodivergent can mean a lot of things and the reason that this is challenging for me personally is because I'm not 100% certain how much I want to share publicly and also and, and you may have experienced this if you have a child who's been evaluated or if you have been evaluated yourself sometimes you go to one person and they say this is your diagnosis and sometimes you go to someone else and they say it's something else so I have gotten different opinions different thoughts So that's why this is kind of challenging to make a definitive statement about what category I fall in, but I can say definitively that I'm not neurotypical. I always come out high on rating scales for depression and anxiety. The challenge with that is, is it the chicken or the egg? Is that the cause or the symptom of something else, which is often the case with things like autism, ADHD, OCD? I certainly have some of those OCD tendencies. So things like catastrophizing, intrusive thoughts, um, the repetitive behaviors. So I've definitely experienced those and I've noticed those types of things when I was growing up. And then I've also had. Some, some various sensory needs growing up as well. So with the intrusive thoughts specifically, one thing that I did fixate on when I was growing up was the passage of time. So what I would do is that I would be in the middle of something that I was doing, and I would be thinking about something that I wanted to do in the future. So for example, this might be something I was looking forward to, or maybe I had something in front of me that I didn't want to do or that I was nervous about. And in the moment, I would contemplate the fact that that moment there was fleeting and that eventually it would be over. And I would think about this. I went through periods of time in my life, and this was when I was in grade school, when I would just really think about the fact that time was fleeting and I would think to myself in the moment okay here I am now but soon this will be over and eventually I'll be able to think back on this moment and it'll be past and I'll be doing something else. So when I was doing something that I didn't like or when I had something in front of me that I was nervous about or stressed about I would think about the fact that Eventually, this will be over, and I'm going to have a moment that I'm going to look back and think, Okay, that's behind me. And I would just really focus on that. And I would, while I was doing that, be looking at clocks. And I had a period of time where I would feel compelled, and this is part of the OCD, repetitive behaviors, compulsive behaviors, where I felt like I had to check the clock at certain times during the day. Now, It is difficult for people at times to use digital clocks to sense the passage of time if those print symbols on the clock don't mean something to them because they're not visual. It takes an extra step when you're looking at a digital clock to understand what that means when it comes to time perception. When you're looking at an analog clock, it's visual. You can see that minute hand moving so that is doing some of the work for you that is visually giving you a representation of time because you can see again that that space on the clock but when you are looking at a digital clock you have to envision that space and that time for yourself so you have to do an extra step so that's why some people can use digital tools And it works for them because they're able to make that step in their mind. They're able to take those symbols and make it mean something to them and make those associations between a specific task and what 10 minutes means. But if time passage is difficult, then an analog clock is going to help make it more visual for you. So what I would do when I was younger is that I would really just fixate on the clock. And I would just really think and ponder about that. And this may have been just part of my executive functioning, but there was an element of obsessive compulsive tendency in here because it would cause me stress. Because I would think about in the moment, if I was doing something stressful, I would think about, well, I can get through this because eventually it's going to be over. And sometimes if I had something, let's say that I had something stressful that I was going to do when it would take me an hour, I would think about something else that would take me an hour that would be enjoyable where an hour would seem less overwhelming. So for example, if I had to spend an hour in an unstructured social situation with no rules, that would be very stressful to me. And that in my mind, I would start to inflate and make that hour seem never ending or giving a speech or a presentation. And I would think, oh my gosh, this is an hour seems so heavy and so long to me. I still sometimes have that experience now when I am giving a presentation and I'm nervous. It just, it feels like such a long time. But if you said to me, you have an hour to go take a break or take a walk, that hour, that sense of how long that takes feels lighter it doesn't feel as overwhelming. It feels like less time. So I would, again, kind of fixate and obsess about those things, about how sometimes a unit of time can feel so, like it's so long, but other times when you put an enjoyable activity in there, it feels like it's not enough time. So I would really pay attention to that, and it caused me stress because While it could be an asset to think about the fact that this is something difficult and I'm eventually going to get through it, because on the flip side of that, when I was doing something enjoyable, I would also perseverate on the idea that the enjoyable thing would eventually be over and I would eventually have to go back to something that I didn't enjoy. So what I would do in my mind, and I think, you know, this is kind of an element of, cognitive distortions so I would I would inflate the the time blocks that were something that I didn't want to do and I would deflate and minimize the time blocks that were something that I wanted to do and it caused me a great amount of stress and I do think that this was something that um, while it, While it helped me to build that time perception, it also could at times make it difficult for me to be in the moment because I'd always be thinking of the future and I'd always be thinking ahead. And it was very difficult for me to distinguish between how much of this is useful, me just engaging in future planning, and how much of this is me catastrophizing. And that's something that I still work through today. What I have played around with to help use this tendency that I have for productive use. So for example, if I have something that is difficult that is going to take me 20 minutes. So this is something that I used to do when I was running a lot of 5Ks. So I'd say, okay, it's going to take me about 20 minutes to run this 5K. And I know it's going to be extremely uncomfortable. In that context, 20 minutes sounds like a long time. But what I would do is that I would think about something that would take me 20 minutes that would seem like it would just fly by. And so I would pair it together with something else that feels less overwhelming And that would help me to get through that idea that 20 minutes is this long, agonizing thing. So I might think about, for example, getting ready in the morning. That could take me 20 minutes. And it seems like no big deal. I'd move through that. And I would match that difficult thing that I was doing to less difficult things that I was doing. And I would kind of play around with different comparisons in my head and see which one landed the most effectively in making me feel less overwhelmed. So I would just kind of play around it and just ponder on the idea that, well, when I get up in the morning, 20 minutes doesn't seem that overwhelming. It just flies by. So this over here that seems more difficult, that is actually something that isn't going to take that long. And so I would consistently be engaging in that kind of mental play to make comparisons between, things that I associate with a length of time and compare something that seems overwhelming versus something that seems less overwhelming. I certainly have not been able to reduce all anxiety with things that are difficult for me, but playing around with it and giving it this additional context both helps me to plan and understand how long something will take, as well as manage the anxiety that I have about things that I tend to inflate. Where I also have to keep myself in check is that certain things that I don't like to do, such as check my email or respond to a large list of messages. So it's not that I don't like to interact with people. It's, it's just that when I have a huge list of messages, and I see all of that, and just that visual of just all these emails that I have to respond to, well, that feels a little bit overwhelming. And so I have to constantly remind myself that each one of those messages doesn't take me that long. That whole process can take me about 10 minutes. So I have to consistently remind myself how long things take because otherwise I might look at it and inflate how long it's going to take in my mind, and then I'll tend to avoid it, and then it just causes additional stress. So I have to consistently engage in that mental play of this task goes with this length of time, and then what is the picture in my mind of what that length of time means? How can I compare it to something else that I'm doing to give it that additional context so that I truly understand how long this thing is going to take and how much mental energy I need to devote to it? Do I really need to stress myself out about this? Or is this something that is as simple as getting ready in the morning? Is this something that I could finish in the length of time that it would take me to brush my teeth or take a shower? And when I reframe it like that, Not only does it give me that additional context that I can use for planning, but it also helps me to reframe it so that I'm not catastrophizing and making it feel like I have more work than I really do. Now, when it comes to my sensory needs, it's really interesting because I've seen videos of myself when I was a kid and there's this one particular video that I'm thinking of and I'm sitting on the kitchen floor and there's a train going around me and I'm just rocking back and forth. And I would engage in this rocking or bouncing behavior in a lot of different contexts when I was younger. So I would sometimes just sit on the floor and rock. I would use one of those, there's those bouncy swings that you can put in the doorway. I had a rocking horse and I would play music and I would go on this rocking horse for hours and hours. Eventually I switched to the swing set And now as an adult, I like to take walks. I like to hike. I realized that when I went away to college that sitting on the edge of my bed rocking back and forth would probably come across as kind of unusual. My roommate would probably wonder what I was doing. So that's where I really started to get into endurance sports. And at that time, I was already a swimmer, so I was already doing sports that required a lot of repetitive movement. And so I was able to make that transition and get my sensory needs met by doing other things that I felt were in line with with my goals and what I wanted to do, but also that would allow me to have that output. And the interesting thing about endurance sports is that they can be very powerful when it comes to time perception because you are having to do something that requires you to be engaging in this repetitive behavior. And it can be like a form of meditation. A lot of people think that running is really boring, but being able to focus on something that doesn't give you that constant stimulation can be very powerful, and yes, it is physical stimulation, but it is kind of the same thing over and over again, which is probably why a lot of people don't like cardio. That and the fact that it can be causing you to exert yourself physically, which can also be a challenge for people. But the interesting thing about participating in a sport like that is that you are experiencing that physical discomfort, And so you're really thinking about how long it's going to take. When you are running, for example, you have to think about pace. So not only are you thinking about physically what you're doing, you are also thinking about that passage of time. While a lot of the devices, the watches that are available, they do have an option for an analog clock. There are different settings that you can use on some of the interfaces, but most of them the primary default setting is that you're using a digital clock. So if you are using those kinds of tools, it does give you that chance to look at something digital and give yourself practice with pairing that with something that is more tangible and and visual. So for me, when I am running and when I am doing some kind of an endurance sport, so this this could apply to cycling, swimming, or, or other types of things, you are not just thinking about the time, but you're also pairing that with visuals. So for example, if you are running on a track, you have an automatic visual of what a quarter of a mile looks and feels like. So sometimes when I'm running on the street and I am really tired and it's the end of a run and I see I have 0.5 miles to go, I think to myself, I have two more laps to go. And that gives me an additional visual. Also, if you have a certain route that you take, you can think about the things that you pass in that quarter mile or that mile. And so that gives you additional context for not just time, but also space. So not only are you sensing time, you're sensing distance. You can do this in a pool as well. So for example, if I'm thinking about, I'm going to get into a pool and I'm going to swim 500 yards. I am thinking, okay, 500 yards means 10 minutes to me. It also means 20 lengths of the pool. So I have additional numbers and I have additional things that I can pair to that distance and that time. So all of these experiences give you the opportunity to engage in that mental play in order to understand the passage of time and pair it to other experiences. And this is why when you're thinking about language, it is very powerful when you're building vocabulary to have discussions in an academic context. But when you go out and you have these real-life experiences and allow yourself to ponder and think about these things it does give you the additional experience and the additional opportunity to play around with time and distance and perception and just all that sensory information that's going on. So for me specifically, doing these kinds of endurance activities, doing these sports and these activities that require me to think about time and distance and how long does this take and what's another thing that might take this length of time? How can I give this additional context to understand how long this takes and make comparisons in my mind? All of that has helped me to really fully have that sense of time that allows me to plan and execute on all of these things. And I think this goes a long way with being able to persist through discomfort or boredom because if I know that I have done something before, and if in the moment I might feel uncomfortable or tired, those feelings don't necessarily go away. Yes, if you're thinking about physical training, you can work up a tolerance for being able to handle more, but you're not going to be able to avoid that discomfort. But what you can build that ability to know that you can persist through it so i can think of so many times that i was in the middle of a run for example where i felt like the additional mile or couple miles or 10 miles depending on how long i was running that distance felt so heavy and long to me it's really interesting because let's say that you're at the end of a 10-mile run And I think, okay, I can't wait till I'm in my ninth mile and I only have one mile to go. But when you're tired, that one mile can feel really long. And that additional eight minutes or 10 minutes or 12 minutes or six minutes, you know, depending on how fast you are, that additional time can feel so heavy, even though when you think about it in another context, it doesn't feel that long. But what it does for you when you've experienced all these different things is know that you've been able to get through that length of time or persist through that task before. And in those moments, that's when my obsession with time or my obsession with the fact that time is fleeting can be beneficial because I can tell myself eventually this time will pass and I'll be looking back on it. And that's something that has helped me to get through a lot of those challenging things, whether it's a run, whether it's a presentation that I'm nervous about, or whether it's some kind of a writing assignment that I don't really want to do. I always have that context of, I have done something like this before, and I understand how long this is going to take. I have other situations that I can compare it to to help myself frame it and understand how long this is going to take. And I know that I can get through it. And the problem is, is that if you don't have this ability to play around with these things and do this reframing and give yourself this, these comparisons that you can make in your mind to understand time and distance and how that's going to feel Because if you don't have that ability to make those comparisons and reframe it, then it's much more difficult to persist through it. Because something you can do is take that complex task and break it down into chunks, even though you're doing it continuously. So for example, if I am doing a hill repeat workout and I have to do 12 repeats of that hill, I might just break it down into sets of four. So for example, I might just focus on that initial set of four and think about how long that will take. And once I get through that, I can commit to the next set of four, for example. And I play around with things in my mind. I play around with the numbers, with the units of time, the units of distance, and I chunk it in different ways. Whereas if you see something as this huge length of time and you're not able to manipulate it, then it makes it much harder to persist. I think the most interesting thing that I have found when I have done something that is physically strenuous or mentally strenuous is that as you're in the moment and you're sitting there by yourself, so you're you're running down the road and you're with it's nobody else. There's nobody there for you to talk to. You can't help but go into your mind and start to think about these things and start to play around with these things. It's You come up with all sorts of creative ways to pass the time and also just to, to feel the time. And especially if you are doing something that requires you to think about pacing and distance, it really gives you additional context for understanding these things. Now with the... <laughs> With the the workout thing and the fitness thing, that is a big part of my life and I certainly don't tell people that they have to do one thing or the other, but I can't tell you that if you are doing something that requires you to engage in something repetitive, whether it's walking, whether it's running, whether it's swimming, it does give you this opportunity to really just sit there and be with yourself and think about all of these things. And so when we're thinking about choosing activities for for kids, choosing activities for ourselves, it's really interesting to just think about the benefits of these types of things. So I always encourage people, if you're going to do something like this, if you are going to encourage kids to get involved in certain activities that we obviously wanna think about, what they are likely to stick with, what you are likely to stick with, what might be interesting, but also to think about things that are going to give you opportunities to build these skills. Because for me personally, being aware of this and being aware of my own tendencies has allowed me to choose activities that really fit within the way that I think about things and allow me to get my sensory needs met as well as allow me to work on some of my tendencies to both distort things cognitively when I'm inflating things but also to reframe things in a positive way. So I would encourage you if you're working with with kids, if you are wanting to work on this yourself, to Think about what are some activities that I can choose for myself that are going to allow me to either sit with myself or that are going to naturally give you the opportunity to pair visuals, digital symbols, written symbols to real life experiences that are going to help make time more vivid for you. For me, it's been endurance sports. For you, it might be something totally different. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check your show notes for links to the Time Tracking Journal and the School of Clinical Leadership. I've talked a lot today about how I engage in the mental play that's allowed me to develop my sense of time perception and to shape my time obsession into something productive. Now you might be working with kids who aren't time obsessed Maybe they are experiencing time blindness and they need to learn how to pair those devices, those strategies into something productive, into strategies that they can use to help self-manage, to help plan. And they also, while they're using those strategies, need to learn how to engage in the internal planning and use self-talk to self-regulate, to plan and understand how long things will take. So I walk through a strategy for doing this in the Time Tracking Journal. To learn more about the Time Tracking Journal, you can go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash timejournal. So this will work for you if you are in a classroom and if you want to teach kids strategies for academic tasks, it'll also work in the home environment or other settings where you have to do some kind of a task that requires multiple steps, which is a lot of the things that we do during the day. Now, if you want something comprehensive, if you are in the school setting, if you're a related service provider and you want to not just learn strategies, like the one that I outline in the time tracking journal, but you want a complete system for getting the support in place. You wanna be a leader on your team in providing comprehensive support for kids academically, socially, emotionally, and you know that supporting executive functioning skills is a powerful way to do that, you want to get your team on board with putting that in place, then check out the School of Clinical Leadership. To learn more about that program, go to drkarendudakbrennan.com backslash clinical leadership. This past year, I became a part of the B Podcast Network, which is a network for educators who want to be leaders in the field. So regardless of your role in education, whether you're an administrator, a leader, a consultant, whether you're working directly with kids, we've got a podcast for you. We have all kinds of shows from parenting to education to special education, ed tech, entrepreneurship, corporate learning and development. So we tackle this from a number of different angles. So to check out some of the other shows on the Bee Podcast Network, go to bpodcastnetwork.com. As always, if you want to reach out to me, if you have questions, if you have a suggestion for a guest, if you'd like to be a guest, you can email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.